1: bird's eye view when it comes to the orioles this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion today is june 13th 2016 and this is episode 168 My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, with Scott Magnus. If you're listening to my voice right now, it's most likely that you're doing it on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find this show as part of the Baltimore Sports Report Network over at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, and you can also find us on baseballtalkradio.com. Listen to our show on third-party Platforms such as iTunes and Google Play Music. And please, if you do so, rate and review this show. We greatly appreciate it. You can find us all over on social media. Check us out on Instagram. And the most important place you can find us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Scott Magnus, I ask you the most important question of
0: the week What is your drink of the week? Jake, uh, I'm drinking a Dogfish Head beer to drink music to it's a Belgian style of... Trabel.
1: Very nice. I am drinking a New Belgium Flat Tire Amber Ale. It's uh, you know, it's tasty enough. That's your first time
0: having that one, right?
1: Uh, maybe, maybe. It's if, kind of. If I had it before, it was not memorable. Let's yeah, put it that way. Is it
0: still memorable? Yeah. Meh, meh. I know Fat Tire got a big, like, kick in, when it first came here and people kept talking it up. But honestly, I haven't been that impressed with Fat Tire. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with it. Just meh. It's like the Sam Adams of the West Coast. Yes. Okay. Uh, for that, you can follow us on Untapped at MEGN8606. And Jake? Jake E 4025
1: We'd love to know what's going on for your drink of the week.
0: And with that, let's go ahead and dive on in to the medical wing. We could use some fixing up right now. We could indeed.
1: All right. So the, Scott, Scott, it's okay if you giggle. It only took a little.
0: Just a little. Um I, I think the big news actually coming into today was JJ Hardy will be getting his rehab assignment at Bowie on Tuesday. Um that certainly seems like it's a lot quicker than what I was expecting it to be. You know, I still think it's gonna take at least a week, probably two weeks for get JJ Hardy back. But it's a good sign to see him actually starting to play in games again. I was one of those ones that basically came back and said, it's going to be All-Star break before he's back. It certainly looks like he's going to be back before the All-Star break at this point.
1: Yeah, it does. And I was right with you, thinking that was going to be a, a long time coming. So hopefully nothing happens, but it'd be great to have him back.
0: Yep. Uh, other individual that is, I guess, of some note is Giovanni Gardo, who is pitching Monday in AAA at Norfolk. Um Yeah, we talked about last week, you know, the whole aspect of wins and losses and whether it matters in the minor leagues. Personally, I say no. I think it's much more important to look at strikeout to walk ratio, look at uh, fastball velocity, and look at that strike percentage that he's throwing in in the minors. And again, I don't think you can take too much out of it, but you're looking for that consistency. And that consistency is what you want to see going into uh, a major league start.
1: The other thing to keep in mind though is that these are not major league hitters and he's going to be able to get away with things that he won't be able to get away with in the minors. And these are not major league umpires either. And so there are also going to be inherent built in inconsistencies even more so than you see at the major league level. So I I think you can throw the results right out the window. Um, recording here on Monday night, we know that he gave up a home run with his, what, in the first inning, in his first pitch, something like that. Um, not really concerning. I just want to make sure he gets through it healthy and that the, the coaching staff is satisfied with the
0: outing. As long as he does, as he does that, I'm fine. Uh, by the way, shout out to Carolina uh, Beaming, who uh, follows us on Twitter. Uh, she's been giving us updates along the, the game from uh, Norfolk. So we appreciate that uh, immensely, having that audience interact with us and kind of give us our, our status updates. Um, so that's really nice. Just keep that, keep that up, everybody. That's actually base full opinion. Yeah.
1: And actual insight. Yeah. There's no room for that on this program.
0: Not on this show. Uh, Let's see.
1: Next, we have uh, Darren O'Day, who's out with uh, his hamstring. Scott, I feel like this is a big loss to the club. And I know I talked about the bullpen being able to withstand the loss of Darren O'Day, but there was a a factor I did not consider when I talked about that last week. Was his name TJ McFarland? The bullpen is really dropping the ball. No, Literally. When home runs are hit into the Orioles' bullpen, ah. they are
0: dropping the ball without Darren O'Day's leadership. And frankly, I'm ashamed. Well, at least there's one thing I guess we're we're missing out on. But um, Caleb Joseph also, in terms of dropping a ball. Um, oh, man. <laughs>
1: Segway.
0: So he's back with the club, joking around with teammates. Good sign. But it's still, think, what, you think three weeks away? At least. Yeah, yeah. At least before he can even feel his legs. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to go to 140 characters or less?
1: 140 characters or less this week in the Twitters. Look, we just talked about uh, wins and not mattering in the, in the minors, and they don't matter in the majors either. Pitcher wins are totally garbage. But we have a tweet that tells us a little something in light of the uh, uh, Balda Jimenez uh, – Whatever you want to call that on Sunday, sure. Rich Dubroff of CSN, who tweets at rich dubroff csn, tweets for those wondering if hashtag Orioles have starting alternatives at Norfolk. The five tides who have started most often have combined
0: five and twenty seven for their record. God, I hate this tweet so much. Why do you hate this tweet? I hate this tweet so much. Number one, I'm not a big fan of Rich Dubroff. I'm sorry. But I, I remember reading an article from him this offseason and him saying, is it really that big of a loss that we, we, the, the Orioles lost In Chen? Because he really – he never even started an opening day. So really, what's the big deal? And it's like, are you serious? Are you, are you really being serious here because you're just you're, – you're acting like an
1: idiot. All right. So I get all that. And I know the pitching wins are ridiculous, Pitching right? wins are ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Yes. However, doesn't that
0: help tell part of the story? Yes, it tells part of the story that the farm system in Norfolk is an absolute travesty and a garbage truck. And when Dan Duquette came out this past year at FanFest and said, Well, you know, Bowie and Norfolk got far along in the playoffs this year, so that just indicates how good our farm system is. No, no. No, no. Bad Dan. No, no. (laughs) Go back to your club. Go back to your shanty. All right, the next tweet comes from, well... This is not really new, but um it's a I guess it's a vote with your remotes kind of thing this comes from Dan Clark on sports at Dan Clark Sports who evidently works for every single media outlet within the baltimore slash washington d c aspect by his bio <laughs> um I see at ESPN talking up the Red sox as the trade deadline nears not much of a mention for the other first placed al east team though um again big surprise no. No, No. I mean, this is to be expected. If you're going to turn into the four-letter network, you will expect to see certain programming. All right, next tweet comes from, well, I wouldn't say they're good friends, but something that I like to follow is Camden Depot. You can follow them at Camden Depot, and they ask the question, buyers? Well, it it could get expensive, so tweet goes as follows. Anyway, Orioles' offense is humming well enough. Starting pitching is in crisis. No solution in AAA. Goodbye, Cisco or someone else. Okay, but can't we just eliminate the end of the goodbye, Cisco, somewhere else and just say that's pretty much what we were expecting from the 2016 season of World's offense humming, starting pitching in crisis, no solution to AAA? That, that sounds like the motto for the 2016
1: Oreos. All right, here's a tweet from Matt Perez, who's, of course, tweeting, at fan of laundry, um, who's responding to a tweet from Cameron Depot. It says, as shown by Gosman, O's have shown an ability to teach pitchers a third pitch.
0: Scott, is this true? I sense sarcasm from Matt on this one. Oh. Uh, yeah. Womp, womp. Although Kevin Ghost in the slurp hasn't been terrible this year, no, it hasn't. It just took a long time for develop. Womp, womp. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, you want to take the next one? Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Actually, this this comes from William Duck, who tweets at Bill underscore Buck twenty twenty two one eight o four. Clearly, a lot, a lot of Bill Ducks. A lot of um, a lot of Bill Ducks. But the tweet is as follows. <clears throat> Expedia.com has no direct flights, but a one-stop flight can be $218 before fees. Book it owes. This was a response to us asking how much a direct flight from Toronto to Norfolk was related to Mike Wright. So I have new shtick. I have new shtick. Instead of posting a lineup on the days that Mike Wright pitches, we need to start posting the cheapest airfare from whatever city he's pitching in
0: to Norfolk. Mm. I'm not, pretty excited. About not a bad shtick. All right, let's finish up the Twitter or the all things this week on the Twitter. Um, I guess we're going to go with join the club on this tweet. This comes from Matt Kremitzer. You can follow him at Matt Kremitzer. He again writes for Camden Depot. Tweet goes as follows: LOL, Buck is fed up, and of course this is right after Jimenez is pulled after only going a third of an inning, and uh, Buck definitely pulled out the old sharpshooter pretty quickly there to uh, get a, a bottle out there. He sauntered out there. And uh, I don't know if I've seen him as angry um, in a long time, probably since Chris Tillman was here. Basically, I mean uh, Jake Arrieta. Yeah, yeah, Jake Arrieta.
1: It was um, it was not pretty for anybody involved. But you know, join the club, Buck. The rest of us are also fed up.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I'm not sure if we're all fed up. I think that there's a there's a sense of panic right now in Baltimore about losing. I guess three out of four in, in Toronto and. Well, it, it certainly looks like it's a three-team race to a center guard right now in the AL East. Jake, I think it's time we ask the question: Is it time to is it time to panic? I tweeted out earlier this weekend that uh, the upcoming Boston season certainly seemed like it was a, a turning point for the season coming up. And, um, well, I, I thought to a certain point that the turning point may be taking place without a suspended Manny Machado, but without the hearing happening today in New York, uh, maybe that was an incorrect assumption. So it looks like Manny actually will probably be there for the Boston series. But it's interesting. You know, we come back to the whole thing of baseball is a marathon, it's a long season. Um, and, and it's easy to get crushed by the moment, whether it's high or low. Um, when we just had that you know three-run homer, and we're just like, yeah, this team can never be beat again. <laughs> but then you come back just a few weeks ago when the Orioles were striking themselves out of against Houston, and things looked pretty terrible. People were talking about, well, this team's never going to hit again. Beer will never taste
1: good again. Beer
0: will never taste good again. This team's a strikeout team. We're going to have about 1,000 strikeouts this year. Um, but today, Chris Davis is the AL player of the week, and the Orioles are losing games in which they scored nine runs. Which there was a great article on War from 34 today about how often the Orioles lose uh, when they score nine runs. Amazing. Yeah, so well done to uh, Matt Taylor on that one. Um, and similarly, you know, the Orioles starters have had periods where they look surprisingly effective at times, and over with periods where they look like they wouldn't collectively survive the Eastern League. So I think we're we're at a point now where we're just like, well, what are we seeing here? Are the Orioles going to go through an offensive and then pitching phase, or is this a real cause for concern where the Orioles just can't seem to get it on track for the rest of the season? So, Jake, I think it's time we build a pro and con aspect, the case for panic, and then maybe the case for calm. So my case for panic, and you actually kind of talked about it, but in a joking fashion, is I really think the, the relief pitching – um over these past 14 days has been a little suspect. And I think you've got to take out the Yankee series and the Royal series because the offenses that the, the Orioles went against in those both series subpar. were yeah subpar best. I think if you come back and you look at the Red Sox series and you look at the Toronto series, you're going against two of the best offenses in the American League. And I think we all knew that coming into this. And you look at the relief appearances um, for each of these series. In the Red Sox series, the Bull Pinch pitched 13 and two-thirds of an innings and gave up 10 runs. Um, And during the Toronto series, 15 and a third innings for the four games, 13 runs per the series. So over those two series, the relief pitchers averaged a 7.13 ERA, which seems to me like that would be pretty bad. Just seems to me. That seems not fun. Now, to be fair, there are some statistical outliers in here. Um, you've got Asher Tolliver during the Red Sox series who gave up three earned runs in two-thirds of an inning. You've got Brian Dunsing giving up two earned runs in one inning pitched against the Red Sox. You've got TJ McFarland who pitched two innings and gave up five earned runs um, in, in, in that in that Toronto series where basically he blew the entire game up. Uh and and there definitely are worst-case scenarios here, which which happened. But it certainly felt like coming into the series for, against the Blue Jays, we kept saying, as long as they keep it close, the Orioles' bullpen is much better than the Blue Jays' bullpen. If we can keep it close, our bullpen will shine over the Blue Jays' bullpen. We were expecting our bullpen to pump
1: their fist on the mound in Toronto is what you're telling me.
0: Yeah, okay, Jason Greeley <laughs> Um <laughs> But but there, there was a lot of moments. I mean, we had Brad Brock have um, a home run, a walk off to Edwin Arconesion, which, again, I thought it was a decent pitch. Personally, I saw it. I was just like, well, that's just a really good hitter that basically made out it came down and made a really good pitch. Of course, Mike Wright thinks he's overrated. But, you yeah, know, I think Edwin Arconesion is uh, pretty, pretty darn good. But,
1: you know, there's there's he was just winging it.
0: There's positives to be taken out of this. Vance Worley coming in and basically helping to kind of preserve the game on on Sunday. But it's just really, it's really frustrating to see some of these these innings and just letting the game get away to a certain regard. I hear you. Yeah,
1: I hear you on that. Can, can I make the case for calm? Sure. All right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna respond before I, I bring my prepared material. I I just want to respond to to you because it's totally legit what you just said. The only thing that I would mention is that I think that some of the guys that you talk about specifically are fringe guys who are not going to be part of the bullpen. for Totally agree. Tolliver and Dunsing are not major league players. T.J. McFarlane is a role guy who's going to be up and down on the Norfolk shuttle. What you're seeing right now is a period of Orioles baseball where the bullpen is not at full strength. Right. And that we have guys that are, are going to come up and, and they just aren't doing it. And one of the strengths of the Orioles bullpen has been you know, bringing up pieces like, say, Chaz Rowe yeah. that pitches out of their mind and provides volume, value way above their head. And this is just the thing that the Duquette and Buck Walter era has, has been. I think that when you look at the, the length of the season at the final product, you'll see more of that than you see of this week.
0: And I agree with you about that. I, I think it's just interesting to look at the relief pitching this week um, against going against really good offenses and really raise the question of. Is this relief pitching good enough to survive um, in September and October when or if they are going against really good teams? And with a wretched starting rotation. Right, right? exactly. And with a wretched starting rotation. I mean, let's come back to the innings pitched. I mean, innings pitched per game for the relievers came out to be three and a third for the Boston series and three and two thirds. So again, starting pitching didn't get past five plus innings, mm-hmm. which is, we've talked about it before, that can't be a survival model. Starting pitchers have to at least get five and two thirds to six innings pitched. And right now the starters are not doing that uh, unless it's against weak offensive teams. So starters need to Or your name is Tillman. Right. Or your name is Tillman. But it's just somewhat concerning to me about how well this, this team is doing. And even if you combine in the past 14 days, um, they're at 4.56 ERA over the past 14 days. And in June, They've led the league in innings pitched at 51.1 innings pitched, which, again, the bullpen is certainly taxed. We talked about it um on that Saturday game, or at least about it on the Saturday game, where they said they had three righties that were not available. They had Brock wasn't available, Gibbons wasn't available, and Bundy wasn't available because the bullpen is kind of in shreds right now with Darren O'Day not being in, in that lineup. So as much as there's a lot of depth not having O'Day in there to really solidify a setup position really has put a hamper on the bullpen because you've had to go to these fringe relief arms.
1: All right, I hear you. I hear you. But, Scott, I'm going to make the case for calm. Okay. Today, it was June 13th, 2016. And the order Orbs- One second. Yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for fact You're going to need to fact check this whole thing. All right, we'll do that. The Orioles sit tied for first place with the Boston Red Sox, and they are two and a half games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays, who just drubbed the Orioles, right? The club has had a rough patch to bring it back, to bring it back to 10 games above 500. And the Orioles have played some really, really terrible baseball games. At times, they've look, looked utterly hopeless. And they're in first place. Yeah. Now, I expect that the AL East will bunch up, and I expect that the other four teams won't let the Orioles run away with the division. But if the O's can play 500 ball from, say, here to the All-Star break, they're going to be in really, really good shape. And the, here's the thing. I, I have been hard on myself for the longest time over the last couple of seasons about living in the moment and about being so emotionally invested in each game, which just it'll bury you. I'm trying now at this point to look at, say, 10 game sets, yeah. you know, where the O's at or above 500 over the last 10 games, okay? And and if they play consecutive 10-day periods of sub-500 ball, that's a problem. And if it happens, what's the root cause, and what, if anything, can be done about it? That's the kind of thing I'm trying to go to. And so you look at these these games like... The Kansas City and the the Yankees series that you look at and you say, well, they played against horrible, uh, you know, they played against horrible offenses. Thank God because we've got a ten day period where we're playing really, really good teams. You have to beat up on the Yankees and the, and the Kansas City Royals if you're going to have a chance. But it's not all bad news, Scott. And I would like to go through some things that I actually feel good about. And the first thing is is that not all the pitching is terrible. And let me let me just say this is not orange colored glasses the pitching is good for the other teams I admit that. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> drinking the kool-aid the starting pitching has not been good but not all of it is terrible chris tillman is playing like the pitcher that got put on the 2013 all-star game yeah he absolutely is or better he, he
0: or i think better i think this is probably the best that we've seen chris tillman at this point it just in terms of command but also just going out to the mound and being confident in himself it feels like so uh, i'm i'm I agree with you. Chris Tillman is 2013, if not better. All
1: right, but once every fifth day is not enough, right? Meh. I'll I'll posit you this. Okay, I think Kevin Gosman has been pretty consistent. He's had a couple rough, a couple rough outings, and he's certainly getting zero run support. But I'm starting to get to the point where I feel pretty confident that Kevin Gosman is going to give the Orioles a good start. Whether or not they do anything with it is another question. But he has not laid the Orioles out to dry. And that is something that almost every other starter has done, not named Tillman. So whereas Gosman is not the ace we hoped he'd be yet, and he's not playing like Tillman, I think it's foolish to say that Kevin Gosman is part of the problem. Okay, all right. And I will go even further to say, and this is lowering the bar quite a bit, that Tyler Wilson has not been an absolute train wreck. Tyler Wilson has been what I believe to be a fifth starter in this league. That leaves Mike Wright and Abaldo Jimenez, who are absolute garbage. And that's a problem. Two-fifths of your starting rotation can't be absolute garbage. But the point is, is that not everything is terrible. The only thing I can hope for is that Ivani Gaiardo, when he comes back, can at least be a league average starter. We're paying him a lot of money. Hopefully he's not completely shot. If he can be a major league starter, just an average one. The Orioles really only have one spot they have to plug up, and they got a lot better chance of making that happen than filling Mike Wright and Ibaldo Jimenez's spot in the, uh, in the rotation. All right, all right, all right. Let me stop talking about the starters. We talked about the bullpen. And even though you have just brought up incredibly salient points about the bullpen being in tatters right now, just as I explained earlier, I do expect that to be the exception rather than the norm. And the last thing is that the offense is absolutely flawed. It's prone to strikeouts, and it'll occasionally go cold all at the same time. We've seen that. But it is also still very impressive. And even against good clubs, not just the Royals, not just the Yankees, we've seen the Orioles score a lot of money, or a lot lot of runs. This team, with its offense, can keep itself in a lot of games it has no business being in, like Sunday. So I say, Scott, If we take a long look over the next couple of 10-day periods, let's call it two or three, I think we'll have a lot better idea of what this club is and is not. And right now, we might not feel very good. And even if the Orioles go get their nose bloodied in Boston and again when they come home to the Toronto Blue Jays, that's a crushing, grueling gauntlet of the piece of schedule. But I don't think it's make or break here
0: in June. Okay. I mean, I I think you're right to a certain regard uh, about that, um, where it's not make or break. And as you said, they're 10 games above five hundred. So again, we talked about this right after the first week. They have given themselves a cushion. And to be fair, they're going to have bad series occasionally uh, against some really good teams. But the important aspect is, coming back to earlier this week, sweeping the Kansas City Royals, when they're basically playing at their worst and taking wins when you can take them is opportune. And there was many of years where the Orioles would come up against a really bad team and they wouldn't win the series or they wouldn't sweep them. And like, you should have walked away with a sweep there. Like that team was a really terrible team and you didn't get it. So the Orioles are picking up wins where they should. And if they can stay 500 against good teams, I'm talking playoff teams, they're going to be a playoff team. Um, they might not do very well in the playoffs. but they're a playoff. They can be a playoff team. Um, so I, I get what you're spinning. Um, and I understand what you're laying down. I, I'm of, of the same opinion as you. Things are looking good, and I don't think it's time to get panicky yet. This is exactly the team that we were expecting it to be, including the aspect of the starting pitching being hot garbage. Don't really thought we think that. Didn't think we think that Alberto Jimenez was going to be as bad as he was but I think we all knew that there's probably going to be three good starting pitchers in this rotation. So I n- I'm going to need your help. Miguel Gonzalez, though, would be really nice in this starting rotation right now.
1: He wouldn't be really nice, but he'd be not hard, hot garbage. Yes. I'm going to need your help. Okay. I'm going to need you to remind me of this optimism as the next two series unfold. Okay. Because with each really rough um, series that we have like this, you know I saw I saw your tweet come out talking about uh, the turning point. All I can feel is that series in San Francisco. Mm, yeah you know? and and so i'm trying I'm trying to avoid that feeling. So when you see grumpy tweets from the two of us, I just need everybody to tweet at us hashtag optimistic jake and And I will hopefully remember to to take the long
0: look. So we're saying, keep calm and roof of the Os Baltimore, all right. Well, if you really don't want to pay attention to the present, which you really should be in my opinion, I guess you could always be looking towards the future. Throwback Thursday. We'll
1: go back to 2007. This team is not worth watching. Let's hope for the best in the future. Right.
0: So let's go ahead and do a quick analysis of the MLB draft and make some pure speculative guesses about what the future holds.
1: All right, Scott, we talked about the draft not getting enough attention last week. Um, So it's about time that we paid some attention. Here's the thing. The Orioles added 41 players to the organization in the 2016 draft, an organization that is widely accepted as being incredibly thin in the minor leagues. And before we go on talking about the Orioles' picks, I want to talk about the approach because I'm going to admit some ignorance here, Scott. I don't know. On this? On most things. Okay. Okay. I don't know as much about the MLB draft as I do in say the the NFL draft, right? It's it's not as easily an understood monster. I want to ask you a couple questions about the approach the Orioles took here to see if it's within the realm of of uh, the norm or if it says anything as to where the Orioles are now as an organization. And first is that the Orioles drafted forty one players, and of those thirty one were college players. So I, I ask you. Is this a a change from their approach or is this pretty pretty par for the course?
0: Um, I mean, they definitely haven't focused as much on college players. They've focused more on high school players in the past. So this is somewhat of a change, but um, it it certainly looks like they're focusing more on college players right now, which is an interesting avenue. Um, College players oftentimes offer a lower, you know, potential point of being a really good player but they offer a pretty moderate floor so you basically are at a point where you can expect to at least get a reliever or a low end starter out of them whereas a high schooler could be an ace pitcher um you just don't know what's going to come out of them basically
1: so am i understanding correctly then that the the pro of of drafting a high school player is getting them in your system as early as possible to put the the kind of professional habits that you want to see in a young player developing versus a college player who's maybe more polished but doesn't have the benefit of that professional input early on in his career
0: yeah if you're looking at a college player he's had four years to develop so again if you come across a college player and he's kind of stagnant over the past four years more than likely he's going to be that same exact pitcher when he comes into minors you're not going to revolutionize him. You know, he's at 21 years or 22 years of age and he's going to pretty much be that player for, you know, for the next few years. Um, Where a high school player, you know, you've got years and years for him to actually grow into his body and he's got a lot of talent. You're more looking at body and framework um, as opposed to just saying what's your pitch arsenal look like right now.
1: Sure. And I guess, you know, performance against like competition
0: is probably like competition, something. Yeah. Higher ceiling, again, is the big thing you're getting for high school pitchers. But, Overall, uh, on a war standpoint, college players normally grade out a little bit higher in war because they generally will get to the majors and at least make some contribution where high schoolers have a greater degree to flame out is the best way to describe it. Um. So do, do you think this has
1: anything to do with the fact that Dan Duquette needs more talent at the higher levels of the minor league
0: system and he's trying to get that pumped through as quickly as possible? Absolutely. I, I think this is a situation where Dan Duquette... And to a certain aspect, Buck Showalter, no, they've got two to three years left, mm-hmm. and after those two to three years, they're done. Yeah. And I think it's the aspect of we're going to load the system with as many options that we have for the next two to three years, and if it doesn't work after two to three years, blow we're going to blow this thing up. Yep, and I, I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's just blow it up. So. The Orioles have looked at the, their their roster and their farm system and said, what we really don't have is pitchers. We're going to stack the deck and get as many pitchers as possible and hope that one or two really work out well. And if it does, great. They can basically be cheap talent for us. Um, and if it doesn't, then the Orals will say, well, we literally have nothing left in our hand. Uh, it's time to blow it up and basically start from scratch.
1: Now, you know, we, we snicker at that, but is there a right or a wrong here? I mean— is there necessarily anything wrong with flooding the top of your organization? And when I say the top, I mean, you know, they're trying to get these kids to Delmarva and, and beyond as quickly as possible.
0: I guess it comes back to a question and it comes back to the whole ceiling versus floor aspect is how important is it to have an ace pitcher? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not wanting to go get an ace pitcher by chance, and then it doesn't really matter. I personally think that it's a very conservative approach, the way that the auras are taking, and I think the auras have been very conservative with their a uh, produce even last year, you look at Mountcastle when they, he signed and it was like, eh, he's an okay player, but eh, it's not that big, nice of a play. But the Orioles are very conservative. I mean, if they really wanted to be aggressive, they could have held on to their draft pick that they traded away for Brian Mattis, and they could have overslotted some of that money and basically offered additional bonus money to basically go get players that weren't going to be well, I'm going to go back to school unless you pay me an exorbitant amount of more money than I'm really supposed to be getting at this draft slot, which is a perfectly legitimate right. option. Many clubs will be doing that uh, during this, this signing period.
1: All right. I have one last dumb question. Sure. No, that's not true. I have another dumb question. Uh, I love baseball. Yeah. But I do not watch the ping. All right. I just – college is a big black box for me. Yeah. When you're looking at college players, yeah, are there metrics that translate uh, college numbers in whatever league or, or whatever conference they're playing in that, you know, translate to some sort of projection
0: model for a major league talent. So in, in the past, not really. Um, there was an interesting um, article actually from Chris Mitchell, who came on the show to mm-hmm. talk about the Cato projection model, um, and he actually has been posting a bunch of articles this past week about... Cato, uh, in terms of just remembering how much war a player is going to be worth um, by the age of, I think he's 26, uh, and, and basically figuring out, based off the college models, how well they're going to do. So he's he's limited the high school model because that's impossible to do, and he's basically done college pitchers to see how well they've done. Um, and, and the Orioles actually ranked pretty decent in the early rounds in terms of Cato for college pitchers, uh, a little worse in the later rounds, but uh, there is a model, I would argue really quickly and say... The model, there is no basis or validation of the model. It's just, hey, this is what the model looks like. But I haven't seen how it works out over a historical period. I've seen how minor leaguers do with the Cato model, and it's meh. But from a draft standpoint, it's I haven't seen enough to basically make me validate it or not. I would love to know, club to club, what
1: the evaluation process looks like. And I'm I'm talking strictly analytically here because you know every t- every club's got their scouts that are out there you know looking around and and you know you know what that looks like, but from a proprietary analytics standpoint, I would love to know what each club looks for in a college player um, to help them again translate what they see to what they think they might get. I, I think that's fascinating. Well, yeah, go ahead. So the the Orioles, you know, took 27 pitchers. You know, you, you said that that we need. That we need pitching. Yeah. I, I don't know if that really is much of an increase. I mean, I guess we could look at the number of pitchers over the last several uh, drafts. But uh, w- what I'm curious about is whether it stands out against their
0: competitors. Not really. Um, most teams average right around 50-plus percentage in terms of pitchers taken in, in terms of the draft. 65 is probably a little bit on the high side um, compared to other teams. But, for example, I pulled it up. The Cubs this year, um, 13 of their first 14 picks were all college pitchers, which I think is interesting. Hmm. Um, so, again, it's not like the Orioles are the lone duck out there making this, this strategy. The Cubs are also making a, a similar venture into just saying, again, pretty weak draft class. We'll just go out and get a bunch of college pitchers and hope one turns out okay. Sure. And I know that the uh,
1: regardless of pitcher or, or uh, position player, and I know the Cardinals, that's a big part of their philosophy too. Right. Is, and they have a, a traditionally excellent one. Right. Um, so the Orioles, you know, in, in when it comes to the draft, they've struck out, right, all three strikes in
0: building their system. I, I'm right? pretty sure that's an understatement.
1: Over the last 15 years or so. And the three strikes are, are poor scouting, poor development, and and sheer misfortune, right, bad luck. Yeah. Are the Orioles— You also
0: in- miss trading way draft picks, but—
1: yeah that's true that that is that is the swinging strike and failing to advance to first before the throw gets
0: there. I, I prefer golden sombrero basically
1: <laughs> are they improving in any of those three areas
0: uh well, I can tell you right now the Orioles had the fewest scouts in all of any major league baseball team, so no that's that's not not the case uh poor development well and, and until you can see a plethora of pitchers all of a sudden come up um and also not see the continuing trend of uh, the Orioles trading away Zach Davies and all of a sudden him turning into, I wouldn't say a superstar, but a pretty decent pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um Adroyo Rodriguez is definitely having a tough season, but again, he's coming off an injury earlier this season, so that's not to be completely I- expected. Um Josh Hader was another individual that the Orioles kind of whiffed on. Um So there, there certainly seems to be an a- aspect where the Orioles either can't develop pitchers or don't see the necessary talents in pitchers, um, w- which is certainly not a good sign um, going forward. Uh, And then the bad luck aspect is the other one, which it seems like certain players can't get healthy. Dylan Bundy, we talked about on the show, uh, not willing to throw the slider in the cutter. Will he ever get healthy? It's a good question. And Hunter Harvey, again, is a huge question mark, too. So when you have two of your top prospects, and I'm not even sure if you can classify Bundy as a prospect anymore, there certainly is some bad luck there. But again, it comes back to the aspect of poor development and poor scouting as well. So it's not just bad luck. It's it's a combination of the two when you get into bad luck.
1: Yeah, when I start talking about poor development, I, I you know, and I hate to do it. I think of Brian Mattis, you know, uh, and I think of Jake Arietta right? Jake Arietta got somewhere else, got his head on straight, and it blew up. And it makes me wonder if that whole group of guys, you know, Arietta Brian Mattis. Brian Mattis was a, a fourth overall pick. You know yeah. he would have absolutely been taken by any club in Major League Baseball. And it, had he gone there, would he have turned into something better? You know because the club would have done better by him. I, I just you know that's that's impossible to know. I am surprised that the Orioles have the fewest scouts in Major League Baseball. I wonder if that's a cost cutting measure or if it's simply that they're not committed to physically putting their eyes on these guys.
0: I just don't think they think it's an important aspect of it. I think they're just like. I'd rather just get the Baseball America review and just pick up yeah. names, basically.
1: And the thing is... Which
0: may not be a bad tactic, actually. I mean... Let somebody else do the work for you. Let other people do the work for you. And, you know, in reality, what is your one scout going to tell you that, you know, he, uh, you know, a mass publication is not going to tell you? I mean...
1: He's got trouble with the curve.
0: Look. I, I Don't get Ryan Wagner up on that. He's, <laughs> you know, he's going to rail about it if he hears on this podcast.
1: All right. So, um... I I think we've ground the the draft process into the crown. But before we actually talk about uh, the Orioles draft, I I just want to throw something out here. As much as the MLB draft is a crapshoot, it's silly for us as podcasters, for bloggers, for local beat writers, for national media to think they know anything about these kids being drafted. Look, I I think the only people that have a chance— are the local writers at, at these kids high school and college towns who might know something about the player and might know something about the kind of player that it takes to get into the pipeline from wherever they are to the major leagues. Cause they've seen it before. I think, I think that's the only hope. Right. right. So that all having been said, we're not experts. Let's not even pretend to be so. But especially on this topic or any topic, really, we're not experts. (laughs) So the Orioles surrendered their first draft pick when they uh, signed qualified offeree Yovani Gallardo. And were unable to give up their next pick when uh, Dexter Fowler chose the Chicago Cubs instead. That having been said, their top four picks were in the top 100. Their picks were at 27-54. 69 nice. and 91. Let's just talk about their first
0: overall draft pick. Sure. Corey Sedlock. What do you think of the pick? I think it was very weird for the Orioles, to be fair. Um Sedlock actually had some really good numbers. He was really highly ready from the Cato standpoint. I think he was projected to have like a 2.7 more up until like age 25. Will be 21, throws four pitches, best as a heavy sinker, which, again, makes sense for the Orioles, who are starting to try to get more sinker-related in order to induce ground balls. At
1: Camden Yards? Get out of
0: here. Yeah. Uh, Slider, curve, change, all very average to below-average pitches. Um, Keith all had him at number 18 in his rankings, um, which he said he had three above-average pitches. I've read different things in terms of Baseball America, who I trust a little bit more. Um, And they basically figure out think he'll basically either be a bullpen arm or a low end starter, which sounds eerily like a Mike Wright or Tyler Wilson to me.
1: Yeah. Um, they're clearly comfortable with guys who can either be a starter or flame out into being a reliever.
0: That That's a, an area of, you know, familiarity. Here's my now. concern with it. And this is why I think it's a surprising pick is, yeah, the, he offers good, good value. And lots of people kept him saying that, but he's had a ton of pitches thrown on him in, in college. Um, this year, he threw one pitch thing where we went for like 10 innings and threw 133 pitches, which is hmm. absolutely a disaster waiting to happen. And it's weird for the Orioles to be so biomechanically induced and so careful with how pitchers going to do that they go out and say, you know what? We've got two players that are having health issues. We're going to go try this guy who probably has health issues too coming down the pike, and we're going to hope everything goes okay. Yeah. I, I guess my. For again a low upside pick. I mean, it, it's one of those situations where it doesn't look like he's going to forecast anything more than a low end arm. I guess my question to you is, Would the other
1: 29 clubs have picked him there.
0: Um, I, I think that he, I don't think he was over slotted is the best way. I think he would have got drafted in a similar spot uh, is the best way to put it. So I don't think the Orioles reached, Um, but I think that for the needs of the Orioles, I'm not sure it was the right pick. See, I I think that
1: as long as they're not Matt Hobgooding it, I'm okay. You know, yeah. because you you talked about uh, Dylan Bundy, right? Dylan Bundy, it hasn't worked out the way they would have hoped, and it could get a lot worse, right? I mean, he could he could basically flame out if he can't get that slider
0: or cutter to work next year. Yeah, but but Bundy was kind of a similar situation to Sedlock, not as high of a draft pick with Sedlock, but Bundy's concerning. The reason why he dropped for the number one pick was. Is because there were health concerns around Bundy of yep. how healthy can he stay throughout his career, and sure enough, the Orioles are basically paying that ramification at this point. So, but again, he was also the number four overall or whatever it right. was for a
1: reason, right? And and any other club would have taken him, right? And so I, I think that as and long I, as they're making as long as they're making normal, um, reasonable
0: picks, I'm down because at that point all it is 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 good fortune. Yeah, right? I, I just think it's a little bit more on the dangerous side in terms of you can make normal picks, but you have to have normal picks that are always going to pan out when you are basically trading weight draft picks. Um, because if he gets injured, again, you're not putting yourself up for success, especially with a college pitcher, too, because if he gets injured, now he's at 24, 25, and it's like, Oh well, gosh, like we got nothing now from him. So, yeah. again, no, we're not experts. Anything could happen. He could turn into a bona fide ace, but… I I think it's a very conservative move for the Orioles um and I think they're setting themselves up for some potential issues down the road with that pitch count. Yikes. Yeah. All right, I don't wanna,
1: I don't want to talk about the rest of the draft picks cuz frankly let, let's not pretend that We're we are going to speculate. Yeah. But I do want to ask you this this question. What do you think about the Orioles um bringing some some let's call it legacies into the fraternity?
0: Uh Preston Palmero being drafted was interesting.
1: Yeah. I I read a quote that said that it, his dad was was asked if there was too much baggage with the organization and and Palmero said no. I I didn't get that impression when I read that article. Did you read that article about Palmero recently? Yeah. That made me sad for days. Yeah. I did not get the impression that there was no baggage. Yeah. Maybe that's just what you have to say when your kid's drafted by the organization uh, for which you got suspended It cost you your trip to the Hall of Fame. Yeah,
0: And then there's also Brandon Bonilla also signed—well, uh, didn't sign, was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. He uh, was drafted by the Orioles two years ago and didn't sign. So, again, this is the next chance for the, the Orioles to try to draft Brandon Bonilla— um, the nice thing about this draft pick is if he is signed, um, the Mets will be paying for the rest of his contract as opposed to the Baltimore Orioles. Right, until he's 50. I, yes, exactly. I, like,
1: I yeah. like that. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's the whole draft class and all that stuff. Look, you can go to the various outlets and, and find out the names and, and the positions. Um, the real question, though, is how did the Orioles do in this draft? Clearly, um, the results won't be known for quite some time. But, Scott, let's go to the source, Okay. Let's go to Gary Rasick Rasic is that how you say it? Yes. Uh, who is, of course, uh, the Baltimore Orioles scouting director. And this is what he told the Baltimore Sun. And this is a quote. I think overall we got pretty good value for our money. The money that we had to spend and the slots where our picks were, I think we got value for our picks for the money we had. And that's a very important factor for us. End quote. That does not make me feel good about the fact that they got the best players that they could get.
0: That seems to me like, again, it comes back to that conservative aspect, which is just like, we did
1: okay. Now, again, I totally cherry-picked that quote. Uh, He had more to say. I will completely admit. But that is a quote that makes me say, yikes. It
0: basically reads as, C+. Yeah. Bob's not going to yell at me about that. You participated. Yeah. Yay.
1: Trophy. Yay, trophy.
0: All right. Well. With that, let's let the speculation end with the draft, and we'll come back about this next year or the year after that and just complain about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's important that we cover some more recent numbers. Let's see who won this week's Fantasy Boss. Oh.
1: Feet, up and down
0: inside and out and across all right Jake so I won this week we had innings pitch for starters last week I took Chris Tillman who had seven and third you took Kevin Gossman, sixth and third two excellent choices. Uh, but I take the lead at three to two. So, Jake, it's your category this week. All
1: right, look, we brought this we brought this segment back because people asked for it. And, you know, I think the first couple of weeks we tried to go really brainiac, and it's tough. You know, it's tough for folks to pay attention to how many pitches do they swing out outside of the zone and, and things of that nature. Uh, so last week it burned me because I picked, a, you know, just a counting stat. But, you know, it's something that people can follow. It's something they can play along. So I'm going to go real simple. Okay. Dongs. Dongs. Dong de dong dong dongs. Over the next seven games until, I guess, encompassing next Sunday,
0: who do you think will hit the most dongs? Of course, Chris Davis has been on an absolute tear this past week. Tear. But, um, hmm. You know who I think I'm going to go with? I'm feeling some Johnny Scope this week. Really? Yeah, I'm feeling some Johnny Scope this week.
1: Wow. Now, if we didn't have impending suspension, of course, man. Machado. Jabby Burns literally
0: one. just popped a chubber right now, he's, just hearing he's that. He's going
1: to bring this up on BST for weeks. No question about it. Uh, Scott, I'm going to make Fantasy Boss great again. Okay. I'm going to choose Mark Trumbo for mm. the number of dongs this week. I think he will out-dong Jonathan Scope. I think
0: there's a good chance that could happen. Um, but yeah, Johnny Scope... I'm feeling feeling some a comeback coming pretty soon. I I you know what I would give up on this week's fantasy
1: boss to see that come true.
0: All right, well we will see who hits the most dongs this week. Uh, will it be Johnny Scope or Mark Trumbo? And with that, let's figure out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. That's right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. So uh, I'm going to start off this week. I I think there has to be one consensus choice this week, and it's not going to go to Chris Davis, in my opinion. I think it has to go to Chris Tillman, who, in my opinion, like we talked about earlier, is pitching an all-star-like season. Uh, In his past start, seven and a third innings pitched, um, 11.05 Ks per nine. He had a ground ball rate at this last game of 72.2%. It's really ridiculous. Uh, but Chris Tillman is pitching like a man possessed and whatever he's being possessed by, he needs to keep it up. So Chris Tillman, he gets my good, maybe not just for this week, but because he's the only decent starting pitcher that we really have in our rotation right now. All
1: right. My good this week is going to go to Mark Trumbo. And yes, there were a lot of really, really great performances this past week. And you you hit it on, on the nail on the head with uh, Chris Davis. I think that Mark Trumbo, though, was really a good sign because he came back from really struggling. And Mark Trumbo is a guy that needs to be going in order for this offense to go. You can't throw it always on Davis and Machado's and Jones' shoulders. And Mark Trumbo was, you know, the everything in the early part of the season. And then he kind of started to drift off in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Mark Trumbo was really good this week. He, again, he wasn't outstanding. Uh, he only had a weighted runs created plus of 105, but to see him turn that around and start having you know productive at bats again, I, I that's good enough for my good this week.
0: All right, my bad for the week is going to go to TJ McFarland, who, well, in my opinion, basically shut down um, that Saturday game when he came in. Uh, just really gave it up, and, and as much as we want to give Mike Wright a hard time, he, to a certain regard. Kept the Orioles in the game to a certain certain guard, but then TJ McFarland came in there and basically said, You know what? We'll, we'll take we'll pick this up on Sunday, guys, and just basically gave the rest of the game away. So, TJ McFarland, I give a lot of flack to TJ McFarland, I understand his role as a long man, but it made no sense for TJ McFarland to pitch at all this this series against the Blue Jays. I know it, it was needed to be done because, well, yeah, you need a long man when your your star only going five and a third or five and two thirds. But TJ McFarland got absolutely lit up, and he deserves the bad. If it was against any other team besides the Blue Jays, he'd be ugly. But against the Blue Jays, he's just bad.
1: All right, my bad for this week is Brian Dunsing. Brian Dunsing is only an Oriole right now because, like me, he throws with his left hand. That's it. That's the only reason he is pitching at the Major League level, and he, frankly, doesn't deserve it. In four appearances this week alone, he had a FIP of, of 10.61. He was outclassed and overmatched as he has been throughout basically almost appearance. I feel like every time I see him in the game, I'm chewing off my fingernails. I know that the Orioles don't have a ton as far as lefty talent in the organization, but I would rather see seven good relievers than six
0: good relievers and
1: the guy who happens to
0: be a lefty. Okay. Uh, My ugly for the week is, well, I'm going to have to give it to... (laughs) I'm going to have to give it to the bullpen. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I know that overall it, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it just felt like we gave a, th- a few games there where we really shouldn't have. Um, and I know it just is a matter of sequencing, but it just felt crummy knowing that you've got the better bullpen. And overall, you basically got beat by a, a, an inferior bullpen. And I really just don't like to see Jason Grilly fist pump on the mound against the Baltimore Orioles. I'm sorry. Just, it's, I'm a small person. Those were three winnable games. Yeah. That's the worst, Yeah, right? I mean, we were not
1: blown out in a game in which our starter gave up five runs in a third of an inning. The Orioles' offense came back and and put them in that game, squarely in that game, but they were let down by the bullpen. I, I don't think that you're crazy. Okay. Scott, we're going to do something here that we've never done before, okay. Bird's Eye View. We're not just going to make someone ugly mm. tonight. We're, we're going to make... Bird's Eye View history. Okay. Scott, we are going to give a Lifetime Achievement Award in Ugly. Okay. To Abaldo Jimenez. Wow. Is there like a trophy or something? No, I will not speak of him again in this segment. Do you realize that Brian Madison even got
0: it or got even this no, award?
1: No, no. He never did because I loved hating on him. Abaldo Jimenez has reached the point where despite the money he's making, he is doing more harm than good. And though he is incredibly likable, and though he has shown flashes of being not completely horrible, those flashes are too few and far between. I have been, I would, I would almost say, a defender, not apologist, but a defender of Abaldo Jimenez. Lo, these many starts. And I am officially retiring from that activity. And with that, I say, Abaldo Jimenez, you have been and ever shall be ugly from this day forward. When we say Abaldo Jimenez, we will say lifetime achievement ugly,
0: Abaldo Jimenez. Okay, wow, that's that's quite the soapbox. So, Abaldo, your trophy's in the mail. Be ready for it. All right, you want to blow the save, or you want me to blow the save this week? I, I'm going to blow the save this week. I would like to. Uh, I would simply like. I'm just gonna play you some music. I'm just Go gonna ahead. wait. That's what I'm gonna do.
1: I just like the wait. I would like to thank the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I have really enjoyed watching baseball, and not just Orioles baseball. And there was a time when the Orioles were getting kicked in every day, and it was awful and painful to watch baseball at large because the Orioles were such a. a A joke right they were they were the punchline of baseball but i've gotten to the point with with baseball the sport that i love that i've been with other sports you know i feel like i can sit down on a monday night when the orioles are off and watch you know the game of the week or whatever's on mob network or hey even that crosstown team if they're playing an interesting (gasps) opponent and watch baseball um, because I haven't had to steal my heart away against, uh, being hurt. And for the longest time during the dark ages, you know, it wasn't that way. I feel like uh, having a good team really makes it easier to be a fan of the sport. Is that crazy?
0: Yes, that's absolutely crazy.
1: So you're telling me that I'm crazy. We already knew this. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I'm crazy, but thanks. This, this f- was a terrible save. Well, let's hear what you had. Oh, you don't want to hear what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> that would just end it terribly. He was
1: just railing on Ebaldo Jimenez for another two minutes. I was actually going to praise Ebaldo Jimenez a little
0: bit, but he just blew it, so. You're going know, to praise Ebaldo Jimenez. Yeah, just right. a little bit. Just a little bit. All right. Well, I think we'll save appraising of the Ebaldo Jimenez for another time.
1: Uh, 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 lifetime achievement ugly. Ugly.
0: Brian, uh, uh, Brian Mattis.
1: <laughs> Ebaldo Jimenez.
0: Look, your committee gave that away. I, I'm, I'm in the back, you know, having an issue with it so all right jake i have nothing else baltimore and beyond i bid you all a fond adieu adieu baltimore be safe out there and let's go o's